All right. Hello, everyone. Today on the phone, we have got someone like, uh, like I've said before in our last conversation with this gentleman, he has uh, been there, done that, seen it all from, uh, man, the early beginnings of our sport right up till now and everything in between. So uh, I want to thank uh, Carl Bastido from Moto Park and Bike Face up there. Carl, thank you very much for chatting with us today. Yeah, no problem at all, Billy. Yeah, I mean, we just uh, we just came back from... Uh, well, one heck of a uh, one heck of a road trip over to Italy to check out uh, Dylan Wright racing the last couple of rounds at Mantova uh, in Italy. So, Carl, I mean, um, I, like I say, you've seen it all. You're um, you know you're not a 20 year old kid anymore, but you still wanted to be there. Oh yeah, um, you know, basically it was a coincidence. It was just an opportunity created by COVID nineteen, actually. Uh, we had the uh, Motocross of Nations, of course, and for the first time that I can remember, there were seven Grand Prix to run after the uh, after the Motocross of Nations, which is really uh, very, very unusual. They, usually, that's the last race of the year because obviously the riders are fighting for their points, World Championship, and then uh, basically they can run the Motocross of Nations. <laughs> so, because of COVID, they did some very different things with the Grand Prix this year, including uh, having five uh, races within two weeks, which is was actually unheard of. But it did give an opportunity. Uh, usually we go to the nations and basically it's the last race of the year and we finish in the top 20 and basically that's the end of it, everybody goes home. But uh, here they knew they had, uh, they had actually seven more races to go after the nations. And uh, Dylan really impressed on the Saturday, especially uh, there getting the sixth fastest uh, uh, lap time and basically looking uh, looking very strong. Um, so uh, he got he got uh, some interest from some of the teams over there, including the uh, the main Honda. Of course, he rides for Honda Canada GDR Racing here in Canada, so they obviously were paying attention to him and. Um, after the race, uh, there was some talk of maybe he could come and ride some of the uh, the last Grand Prix. Uh, so uh, he ended up ended up getting that ride, uh, and I, I'd never seen that before. I mean, it's been in the uh, '80s and and uh, '70s. We did have a number of riders go and ride uh, Grand Prix events. Guys like Mike Harnden and Stan Currington. Uh, Ross Peterson wrote some, and um, but uh, in the last 30 years, we really haven't had anyone go over and ride uh, a Grand Prix. So it was a real opportunity that came up, and um, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to be there when he uh, rode the last two. I wanted to see what it was like. Um, you know, you always really enjoy a race more when you know somebody that's in the race, of course. So we had somebody to cheer for. Uh, which was good, and uh, he did extremely well. He did very well in the first three that he rode uh, prior to us going there. Uh, finished ninth in, in, in overall in one of the races, and uh, then we were coming to Manitoba for the last two. Okay, right now, now I think uh, I was going to back up a second here because I think I think that's a, a, an important part that most people kind of miss in uh, how this all came together. Because had this been a normal year. I mean, Dylan would have raced our series, and then we would have done the Motocross of Nations, and then there wouldn't have been any more races. So, I mean, 
like you said, just the coincidence of it. And that, I mean, it all just kind of came together that he was actually able to do this. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a fact that it's like, oh, yeah, he, there's no way he would have been able to do that otherwise. So it's, it's just pretty wild. Well, it's just amazing. And also, it's kind of given me some uh, incentive to look at this whole European thing with regard to Canadian riders. Um, you know, uh, you talk about going to the U.S., of course. Uh, that's a, a great thing for riders to want to go down to the U.S. Uh, and ride down there. And that's more supercross than motocross. I mean, motocross is very important, but. The, the Supercross is such an important thing in, in the U.S. Uh, and Europe has always kind of been there. Uh, we've never really thought about raw riders going to Europe. But as you know, they had that uh, 125 two-stroke class on the Saturday and the 250F uh, class on the Saturday, which uh, were, were more like uh, the, the, the top amateurs, you might say. Right. Um, or I mean, they're obviously pro riders, but not GP riders, uh, and they do a lot in Europe to uh, to groom their riders to eventually make it to the to the GP uh, circuit. And uh, I think that's that's something that we can look at in Canada. A few years ago, we took some riders to the uh, World Junior. Uh, I think I want to do that again next year. I hear that it's in Finland. Okay. And it would be good to take some riders to the World Junior, and uh, maybe maybe just try to get some more interest from Europe in the Canadian riders, and try and get uh, you know maybe Dylan can lead the way uh, if he gets if he gets a ride next year, uh, which we hope that he does. But if he gets a ride next year, and then that can kind of set the groundwork for Canadian riders to be considered uh, for the Grand Prix circuit. Right now, I don't. I don't think the question is whether or not he's going to get offers to take a ride because I mean he. I mean we obviously we'll talk about his performance and stuff like that, but it was just. I mean, he, for the other guys that are on rides, Dylan was beating you know over half of them, and I mean he definitely deserves a ride, and there were a lot of eyes his way. It's just obviously needs to all be worked out so that he can actually take the ride over at the MXGPs, right? Yeah, he has to work with his team over here, uh, the Honda Canada. Uh, GDR people, and uh, basically, I'm sure that they're going to support him. You know, whatever he wants to do, and uh, and then something come open in Europe. Uh, you know, he made a lot of friends over there. A lot of the guys uh, re- really uh, got got to know Dylan quite well, and he's a pretty serious guy. You know, the nice thing, the the thing that I noticed the most that I was most impressed with was the way that he was able to run down some of those top GP riders mm-hmm. later in the race. Um, that that totally impressed me. Um, when you get a rider that, uh, you know, it used to be that way back in the day with Ross, you always knew that three or four laps from the end he was going to put on a charge and catch somebody and pass somebody uh, who just couldn't uh, maintain the pace. And I saw that same thing in Dylan, and that, uh, that was very impressive. So conditioning is something that... Uh, I know we've talked about it a lot over the last few years here in Canada, and it's gotten better and better. But, uh, you know, the young riders, that's something that they've got to really, really work on is this whole conditioning thing. And uh, he, he went a long way there. You know, he, he did very well from that point of view. Right. Like I was going to say in that one one race, he fell twice. Another one, he dumped it in a corner. And uh, and like you say, yeah. he just he came back and caught up to those guys who were factory factory support, factory riders over there. 
Yep, just ran, ran them down and, and passed them, you know. And, and you could see in the last race especially uh, how they tried, to, I won't mention any names, but how some of those top guys tried to fight back once uh, once Dylan got by them. They, they knew that they were being passed, you know, by this Canadian at the... And they really did fight back to try to uh, to get back at him, but they couldn't do it. They, they just couldn't uh, couldn't hang with him. Yeah, they try. You can see they tried for a couple corners, even take another look. I thought a couple guys were going to try to just stuff him and block him into the fence, but uh, two more corners and he was gone on them. Yeah, and it was really interesting to hear Dylan talk about how they rode over there compared to here and the strategy they used and how they blocked and what they did. And I mean, that's something that. Uh, that he could, he knew, and he could see, and you know, we we can't really see what's going on there, but uh, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, and I think one thing he mentioned too is like he said uh, the tracks were a bit uh, odd in that uh, you know you take an inside line or you take an outside line. Normally that's what it is, but these it seemed like every single corner they ended up into the same line. So it, uh, if you went inside, you were going to come out and take out the guy who was on the outside. You didn't really have a much of an option. Yeah, I was I was really surprised at that. Um, I, I, I really expected more lines, something different, but uh, no, it really did bear. It really did get down to you know one or two lines in each corner. And like you say, if if the guy took the outside line and you took the inside, you were very likely to be able just to put him out into the weeds <laughs> as, yeah. as you came out. You know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Hey, and then um, I, I mean, pretty funny at the. I mean, of all things, our guy coming up through the pack. Of course, the last race of the season, <laughs> he comes up with three laps to go. He comes up on Antonio Caroli, for goodness sake. <laughs> oh, that was that 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 was amazing. That that was absolutely amazing. And I'm standing there in the in the uh, tower there, and I'm saying, saying to myself, "Oh God, please don't pass Tony." <laughs> like, you know, maybe get up near him, but don't don't pass. He's a, he was in tenth place at the time. And the crowd, I mean, Dylan must have got almost blown off his bike by the noise from the crowd <laughs> yeah. and the horns and the chainsaws and the whatever every time Tony uh, came around. And uh, Dylan played it very cool. He uh, he did sit there. You could see that he was thinking. You could just feel him thinking and uh, knowing that, hey, I better not pass this guy. And he, uh, Dylan said at one point they came into a corner and Tony looked back at him. <laughs> And uh, Dylan looked at him and pulled in the clutch <laughs> and kind of said, go ahead. Uh, but but it was interesting because uh, that, that went on for at least three laps. I thought yeah. it was even more. It seemed like forever to me. But uh, right near the end, the guys who were uh, who had been passed by Dylan and were trying to come back on him, uh, Watson, Rapino, Jackanovitz, or whatever his name is, um, they caught right up behind Dylan. Like, they were going to go after him again. And uh, luckily, they got to the finish line before they uh, they had a chance to challenge him again. Yeah, yeah. Dylan was being nice to uh, Caroli, but he was about to get stuffed if this thing went a couple more laps, and he didn't force a pass on uh, on the two twenty two there. Right. They weren't being nice to him. They they wanted to get back in, in front of him. Yeah. Uh, so it, it all it all turned out great though, and it was a that that was a, a real uh, fitting end to the whole uh, trip that we had. To see that, that really was very impressive. Right, for sure, for sure. And it was, it was cool. I mean, we ended up staying at the same hotel with Dylan, so we were able to have breakfast and some dinners and things with him. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully he appreciated that. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully thought that was good. But, uh, no, it was really cool to kind of be part of that. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously enjoyed having Canadians, you know, some people he could relate to over there. Uh, <laughs> it was very nice. And, uh, yeah, it was a 
it was a great trip. Okay, now, and we, we, you mentioned, uh, funnily enough, uh, Mike Harnden kind of looking back at guys who've raced the GPs and stuff like that back in their days. Uh, I'm actually going to do an interview with Mike tomorrow afternoon, so we're going to talk about, uh, it just seems really fitting, kind of the importance of MXGPs, what it was like then. He pays close attention to them, I mean, ever since. He gets the, uh, the MXTV, MXGP TV package every year. He watches them closely. So we're going to have some fun talking about some of his stories. And, and I mean, like I say, everybody I mentioned in Canadian history, you, I mean, you know very well. So, uh, I mean, what... Uh, Mikey, Mikey has some stories, I can tell you. <laughs> and uh, no, nobody can tell them like he can. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when he went over there, um, I was, it was kind of funny. Ross, of course, hated everybody that he ever raced against. And I, I would always try to get him to be friends with guys. And one of the guys was Mike Harnett. Uh, uh, tried to get Ross to be a friend of Mike's and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, basically when Mike went over there, he sent me a letter. I'll have to dig it up someday and I'll, uh, I'll get his permission and I'll send it to you so you can print it. But it's about four pages long. We, we, we used to write each other, by the way. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, there was no uh, internet. There was no email. There was no, you know, if you wanted to send a te- I wanted to talk to somebody right away, it was Western News. Uh, basically telegram but uh, yeah so he had sent me a letter when he was in Europe uh, talking to me about uh, how they did their corners and you know how how it all was laid out and that it was was very interesting it's about a four page letter that he sent uh, talking about the whole thing off to get that for you yeah but yeah there's a guy uh, he'll he'll be able to tell you some great stories and now they they did things a little differently back then it was the uh, uh, they had a 125, a 250, and an open class. And basically, the two, the 250 had uh, had what they called the trophy donation. Right. And then the open class was the motocross of nations. Um, and they had three classes uh, at, at the races. So it, it was a bit different than it is now. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, and Mike, like you said, Mike would go over for like three months. I think for two years anyway he did that, right? Went over to like Belgium or something like that for two years and did uh, did the opening rounds? Yeah, he had a couple of good friends over there that he would stay with. And uh, yeah, he did. He went over there quite a bit. Okay, and I found it nice because I've had a couple of conversations with him before we can <clears throat> set up a time to actually talk about stuff. And I didn't want to be the one to bring Ross Pedersen's name up, but uh, he did. So I was like, he's happily, you know, I mean, race against Canada's GOAT. He, uh, he seemed pretty open to talk about the stories about uh, Ross. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, uh, they talked quite a bit and were pretty close. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But, okay, so, um, now, and, and coming up into the whole MXGP thing for Dylan, I mean, I know, I think, uh, you know, you kind of, were you in contact with him and kind of just trying to talk to him about, about the benefits of it and stuff like that? Were you involved, you know, kind of someone he confided with in? Uh, well, yeah, of course we talked about, uh, you know, I encouraged him to pursue it for sure. Um, and, you know, it's a, he, he recognizes that this is the time. It's something that it's a, it's something that he's never going to get the chance to do again, probably. Uh, if he doesn't do it now, it probably isn't going to happen. Right. He's still got, uh, he's still got uh, six or seven good years ahead of him, I think. Uh, you know, back in the day, when a rider was 30 years old he was over the hill well nowadays it's more like 35 or 
you know, coming on to 40, right. the time just changed. I always tell people, you know, 70 is the new 50. Um, <laughs> <laughs> make sure they understand that. So uh, things have changed. So he's uh, 25, I believe. 24. He turned 24. I made that mistake, too. <laughs> he turned 24. Yeah, he was 23 when we went there, and then he turned yeah. 24 when we were there. Good. I, I stopped that. But So, yeah, he's got quite a few more years ahead of him, and uh, he's at a, he's just coming into his peak year. Um, I'd say by the time he's, you know, he's going to keep improving and getting better probably until he's about 27 and then it kind of level off. So uh, he's got a ways to go, and uh, I think this is an opportunity that he just has to take. And and uh, and he's been getting some good encouragement from Derek and the team down there at GDR uh, to go ahead and do it, which is very nice. Right, for sure, for sure. <clears throat> I thought it was kind of neat, too. And um, at our hotel, the guy next to us, I couldn't, I'm like, how come you look so familiar? And he's like, oh, I'm a photographer, too. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, he got talking. He said, yeah, everybody's he said everybody he said everybody's talking about Dylan everybody's pretty impressed with him so uh, it's uh, it's all pretty cool like hopefully uh, I'd be interested to see who's been uh, you know contacting I mean sure other brands as well but it's all got to fit so it'll be interesting to see what they can do yeah of course the European crowd are very educated and uh, they can just look at a guy and they, they, they know you know Right now, hey, what would you say, um, you know, our series ends and sometimes there are a couple AMA rounds left. Uh, would you say this, the, the way this all worked out, of course, it wouldn't have worked out any other year, but this is more beneficial, you would say, like doing MX, the GPs as opposed to heading down to do a couple AMA rounds? Just different? Well, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not saying more beneficial. It's obviously a lot more expensive if you, uh, you know, go overseas and try and do something It's. uh it's a lot more expensive. It's easier, obviously, to get out in the States. And I think the guys really should go down to the U.S. and try, uh, you know, ride some of the rounds down there after our series is over. Um, but, uh, yeah, they get, to get the opportunity to go to Europe is, is pretty good. Right. Right, right. Hey, now, um, we did an extensive uh, podcast with you uh, when the pandemic kind of just started, kind of a history of Canadian moto. So if anybody wants to listen to that, and I mean, like I say, Carl's been uh, been there, done that on everything. So so I don't want to get too bogged down in your history because we could be here all, all week for sure. But uh, I, I don't know if I asked you, how the heck did you first get started in motocross back when it was really not popular back, like way back in the day? Yeah, well, of course... Um... There was no such thing as a, as a somebody under the age of 16 uh, riding a motocross bike. I mean, that was that would be unheard of. Uh, <laughs> basically, I didn't learn to ride until I was about 15. My, my brother my brother raced uh, uh, with Steel City Riders. Larry raced with Steel City Riders, the Kellys, all that group uh, in the 50s. And I used to go to the races, of course, all the time. Never dreamt of actually riding or riding a bike myself. And uh, then when I was 15, I got a little James uh, bike, and they, they uh, took me out near Coketown and taught me how to ride. And basically, the very first thing I did was uh, the grass was long at that time. They rarely cut the grass. Uh, I drove uh, through the grass and uh, fell into, a, uh, into the basement of a house that, was, <laughs> that used to be there and, uh, you know, wrecked, wrecked the bike and got hurt myself within about... Uh, 15 seconds of, uh, of, of my first ride. And then I uh, uh, 
when I was 16, you couldn't get a CMA license until you were 16. You weren't allowed to have a, a competition license. Okay. So, uh, you know, through my, uh, through, I, I knew, of course, Marilyn was married to my brother, and she worked for the CMA. And basically, uh, when I turned 16, I got my license, and I rode my first motocross at Coketown on Labor Day. Uh, I turned 16 August 4th, and... Labor Day was uh, the first race that I went into at, mm. at Coketown. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I my whole life, I, I grew up with my brother racing. He'd go to the ice races all the time and, and to the motocross races uh, in Hamilton area. Oh, that's amazing. When did you stop riding? Uh, well, I uh, basically, uh, when I got out of high school, I got a job with Ford Motor Company, and, of course, they... Uh, they had glass fabricating operations in Niagara Falls and I couldn't even mention the fact that I raced motorcycles oh. uh, that that would be a complete taboo for them to, uh, to have me race motorcycles I was hired there right out of high school as a, as a production control clerk and uh, basically uh, I remember I went to a race in Ottawa and uh, we had a big crash, uh, myself and Ray Bozeman. I, I came off a jump. We were both riding t Triumph Tiger Cubs, and Ray came off and landed on me, and uh, my foot got caught in the rear wheel, and basically I thought I cut my toe off, but actually I just had a big big uh, cut in my toe. And uh, they all came over and looked at me, etc., sent me to the hospital uh, where I got some stitches, and that was the end of that. Well, when I got home, I, I mean, this was on a Sunday, and we're in Ottawa, and of course, I got to be at work on Monday morning <laughs> at eight o'clock for sure. So we drive home that night, and uh, I'm in the kitchen making myself a sandwich before I go to bed. And all of a sudden, I realized the story that I was going to tell when I went to work the next day, because of course, I was limping. Uh, uh, I had crutches uh, with this foot. And the story was that I was making myself a sandwich, and the knife fell off the counter and landed on my foot. So that was my story, and I was sticking to it when I got to work at Ford the next day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, could, I couldn't tell them that I was up in Ottawa racing a motorcycle and got injured. But, um, yeah, and uh, then I had my shop in Niagara Falls. Uh, I started, uh, I was with Ford for three years, and I started my own motorcycle shop in Niagara Falls and basically had that for uh, a number of years, uh, probably six or seven years, and then uh, met Mike Manley, who was, they were the Honda distributors at the time, and he came down to the falls. I, I was a Yamaha dealer with, uh, with Trevor Dealey, and uh, we got talking, and uh, I guess he was fairly impressed. Uh, when he went back to Toronto, uh, Honda were coming in, in to distribute their own bikes at that time, so Manley's were no longer the distributor for Honda. Uh, and they took on Kawasaki as a line and uh, hired me uh, in October of 1969 to uh, be the sales manager for Ontario for uh, Kawasaki. Now, were you still and racing at this point? Yes, I was still racing. As a matter of fact, it was kind of funny. I rode the, uh, I was slated to ride the International Six Day Enduro in uh, September, late September of 1969 and I had my Yamaha sponsored by uh, by Dealey's and basically uh, I rode that event and when I got back within one week I went to uh, 
Kawasaki and started to work there as a sales manager. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course, obviously after that, I just wrote, wrote Kawasaki's. Um, and then I actually uh, retired from racing in 1976. So basically 60 to 76. Oh, okay. I was I was an expert class rider. I was a good enduro rider, but I was never a, never a champion. <laughs> I was always the, one, one of the also reds. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, again, like I say, we could talk forever about stuff like that because it's just so interesting. I find that uh, we'll have to do another one again just to, just to some of the stuff we missed in the first one. But uh, <clears throat> hey, now, um, are you allowed to talk about anything you're working on right now or uh, or no? Um, yeah, no. no? <laughs> okay, that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I am working on some stuff. I'm trying to, uh, do some things more in the amateur vein than, uh, than, than the pro rider vein. Uh, trying to do some things for our amateur riders as they're coming up. You know that we run our summer camps here, our motocross summer camps, and, uh, we have a lot of good, good riders come through there. Uh, but it's a big jump from uh, being a top junior or a, or a top intermediate to, you know, to becoming a uh, expert pro, pro class rider, uh, even here in Canada. So I enjoy working on programs for them. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, hey, what about um, we should talk about? You got a big year coming up at Moto Park, the fiftieth anniversary, right? Yeah, um, having trouble getting myself all together for that but uh, <laughs> yeah it's our 50th anniversary we'll have to do some special things uh, I know the guys are working on a special uh, some special t-shirts and clothing and that uh, we have all that equipment now where we can do our own uh, imprinting of uh, t-shirts and clothing so they're working on that and we're going to work on some programs for our 50th anniversary coming up this year okay awesome that's amazing for people listening to this I mean 50 years of Moto Park that's pretty crazy yeah, we all started. We started in 1972. Um, uh, basically, the first event here was a, uh, a, a ISDE qualifier. Uh, they had a few club events, Steel City Riders. Like what happened was a number of the Steel City Riders and myself, there were about eight of us all together that purchased uh, the property at, at Moto Park. And uh, in uh, I, I purchased it like sight unseen. I had never, my brother just called me up at Kawasaki one day and say, hey, uh, you got to send me $2,000 because you're going to be with us in buying this property up in uh, Chatsworth. So uh, basically that, that was how we all got involved in, in Moto Park. Um, I actually moved up here in 1975 and started our first, we had our first actual motocross at that time up until then we had ran in girls and uh, club races for steel city uh and we actually started our first official cma sanctioned motocross in uh, 1975. oh wow, that's amazing uh, <clears throat> here at the park wow well my first year there would have been 1982 yikes yeah it's uh well of course in 84 we had the uh, world championship grand prix which was uh pretty incredible 84 85 86 right right um yeah and it was uh it, it we still have some of those rocks but uh there was a lot more of them there was a lot more of them when you rode here in 82 <laughs> yeah i wonder if you got some uh red paint from andre malherbe's bike or something still kicking around there yeah 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, well, the funny part was when David Thorpe rode here in the uh, in the Grand Prix. Uh, it was uh, he had an article. I'll have to dig it up for you someday in Cycle News, where he described all of the tracks, the, all the Grand Prix tracks, okay. and what he said about Moto Park. And I was kind of I didn't even want to read it. But what he said was, it's like Sweden, a sand track. Wow. <laughs> I, I, got, I got quite kicked out of that because Sweden, obviously, is probably a fairly rocky tracks, I would think. And uh, basically, Moto Park, of course. Uh, but we did, we, we did put a lot of, lot of sand on the track for that, for that world championship. So maybe that's what he's referring to. Right, okay. Yeah, and I remember you had the back section that we were allowed to race as... Uh... As lesser class, we got a chance to race race that uh, back, big back section that you added too. <clears throat> I got bored. It was too long. The track was just too long. I was out there for too long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we had the old Grand Prix section. Over yeah. There. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, you should see it now. Like, talk about rocks. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that was. Uh, the track was was pretty good for the Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Well. Um. Well, Carl. Uh. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I say, we could tangent on about stuff forever here, but uh, we, we, uh, we'd better not. We'll save it for another one for sure. But uh, uh, again, hey, thanks. For th hey, hey, by the way, we, I mean, if you were like me, I was so sick of seeing, I, I mean, they were delicious, but sandwiches and pizza, what was the first thing you ate when you got home? <laughs> well, it wasn't a sandwich, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a steak. Although uh, I, I did have my fair share of them over there, as you know. That's true, with all the cheese. <laughs> well, more, more than I should have. I, I wouldn't have minded some chicken, but they didn't seem to offer it too many. It was kind of, kind of weird. Ham, lots of ham. Yeah, ham. And we are going to have, yeah, and uh, I, I got the uh, the uh, panini uh, press out, and we're, we're starting to, we're putting a new roof on the uh, snack bar today. Uh, Dylan Roofing is uh, putting a roof on it. A new shingles and we uh got the panini thing over so, gonna so it's going to be moto paninis yeah yeah so M moto pini we're calling them okay interesting all right are you going to stack them up in a glass case like they did over there no no that's one thing we're not going to do we, uh, <laughs> you know stack up in the glass case and all the flies get at them and It'd be made to order they, they they sit there all day and uh <laughs> and then they put them in the press and that's it yeah and the next but, day uh, oh yeah these are from yesterday <laughs> Yeah, we'll have we'll have some on display, but we aren't going to stack them the way they do. Okay, gotcha. All right, Carl. Well, uh, before we let you, anything else you want to mention about our trip to Italy? Uh, was there a highlight or anything you want to mention about that before we let you go? No, just that I was uh, really, I'm really pumped for Dylan, and uh, and I hope the whole thing works out for him. Uh, he's going to go ride that uh, Paris Supercross next week, I guess. Right. Um, you know, not. Uh, whatever but uh, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be able to talk to more of the guys over there when he gets there and may, maybe when he comes home he'll have some good news for us I'm not sure right right okay all right well uh, yeah of course we'll have to be watching for that uh, checking out the Paris one with Dylan in it so that'll be that'll be interesting for sure and um, yeah well thank you very much Carl and uh, that trip yeah, was amazing maybe, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have some more news for you we can get in touch okay yeah yeah news on that okay. stuff that we weren't allowed to talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> okay, well, uh, good luck with everything over there at Bike Face and Moto Park and everything else you're involved in, and we'll uh, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye, bye, Bailey. Okay, thanks. Bye, bye.